As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an aquaculture business, how do you focus on business development, goal execution, and effective strategy? This episode is dedicated to answering that question. Welcome to episode 16, season 4 of the Business of Aquaculture. This episode, I'm delighted to interview another good friend of ours, Robert Arthurs. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you, Lars. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. He's an accomplished entrepreneur and a valuable asset for small and medium companies. So. Let me get the show rolling, Rob. Maybe you can get started with how did you get into the seafood industry? I was headhunted by the BC government to help with the Olympics. When I started being helping on the Olympics, my job was to find sources of food to feed the athletes, whether it's seafood, livestock, produce, because there was a new ruling that came down by the IOC saying, if Lawrence wins a gold medal, we're going to test her blood. If we find hormones in her blood, she can't blame it on the food anymore because we're going to test all the food that's being fed to the athletes. So if we find hormones in her blood, it's because she took a drug. And so that started me on a food file of seafood, livestock, produce, all that kind of things. After the Olympics were over, I stayed on that file and helped the BC government in the agri-food and the seafood industries and in promoting those companies around the world. And that sort of kept me in there. And when I left the government in 2019, I stayed on the file of going back to my consulting practice where I came from and went back into consulting and helping these seafood companies export their products around the world. I have my own seafood company right now where I go around and buy high quality fish waste and sell it to a pet food manufacturer, whether it used to be stuff that you would have to pay West Coast renderings to take away and cost you money. Now they're getting paid for their fish waste that we sell to the pet food manufacturer. So I'm still in the industry in a multitude of ways, but I'm still working with clients that are great fishermen, but not such great marketers in selling their products. So I work in the export markets and helping them find buyers for their things, as well as my own seafood company where I'm selling fish waste to pet food manufacturers. 
I didn't even know this about you that you worked before with the athletes. So that's actually a really smart way of how they did that structure. But going back to your background, it's interesting because I didn't know that you were a consultant before. And I remember Alice Chen from Vancouver was talking to me that you were dealing with immigrants before. And this was when I first came to Canada. Can you tell us a little bit of background about that? What were you doing with them, actually? One of the things when I sold my last clothing company, I jumped into full-time business coaching and consulting. And I ran into a BC government guy who said, you know what, Rob, what it could really use is we have a lot of new immigrants coming to this country buying businesses, but they're not buying good businesses. They're getting ripped off by people. And I'll give you an example of that. If you went down in the late 90s, if you went down Demon Street from Robson Street to Davie Street, you'd find 13 Gilletto ice cream shops. And that would have been some great smart salesman who had taken people down there probably in the heart of July weather's hot and everybody's drinking, walking down the street, and there's thousands of people eating ice cream and going to English Bay. And then January, everything closes up, nobody's eating ice cream. And that was one of the problems they had is that all these Gilletto ice cream shops and ice cream shops were new immigrants who invested tens of thousands, if not one, several hundred thousand dollars bringing Gilletto from Italy to Vancouver and they were giving Canada a black eye. I know one Korean family that went back to Korea and said Canada is a ripoff. And that's when I came on and started helping new immigrants look for businesses that were viable, steering them away from those sort of ripoff businesses, buying gelato ice cream shops. And so I was doing all kinds of different things and doing a seminar called New to Canada, thinking of starting a business and showing them. And I had a whole network, Lords, of people that I trusted, my dentist, my car dealer, my doctor, people that they would get as my network immediately to plug into people that I trust so that when you came to them, if I was referral, they would treat you just like you were Rob Arthurs. And that was one of the things I did and it did very successful. And then the government recruited me in 2006 to work on the Olympic file for them. So I sort of wound that seminar down, but I still do that today. I still work with a lot of South Africans and a lot of people from Asia that are trying to buy businesses here and, and looking for good, viable businesses that aren't aren't a ripoff. Well, thank you for sharing that. I just love it. And for our listeners, I just wanted to pinpoint, I guess, highlighted what Rob said. I think the reason why he's on our podcast today is because he's an exemplary model for me of how networking works. And most of the people that I know in the aquaculture industry, not to be biased, but some of them are technicians and really not being able to sometimes meet people because they were busy doing the business. And I know this close to heart is my business partner always just on the go. And so that's why the networking part is left to me. And this is one part of obviously marketing and sales that's very important in the business. So let me go back now to the industry. So what is your vision for the aquaculture industry since I know you've seen out and about in this for quite some time now? Aquaculture plays a huge part in what's going on around the globe. We are in a protein crisis. We don't have enough protein globally to feed all the people with good, you know, it's one thing to give them a lot of carbohydrates and fill up people's bellies so they feel full, but they're not getting the nutrition and it's affecting the kids. It's affecting everything. The only way we're going to solve this issue is not by raping and pillaging the sea to get that real high protein. Aquaculture needs a place and it has a place. Unfortunately, aquaculture has had a very bad rap. And it's because we don't come together with a good budget. 
It's the anti-aquaculture people that have got a big budgets and can get out and hammer us and hammer the people that are in aquaculture and say it's bad, it's not good, it's giving this and that to the other wild species. So the aquaculture industry definitely has a place. It needs to have a bigger voice and a bigger budget and better articles. We're not telling a good enough story about our industry and what we can do and how we can solve the issue. We definitely can solve a lot of the issues that are going on globally in protein because you're not going to get it from the wild stock to solve some of these issues. It has to come from aquaculture. Thank you for being so transparent about that. And not a lot of people have the courage to say that, that anti-aquaculturists have a lot more budget than the people who are industry, which is really sad. And so I believe there's also a group of people now who's started to be able to see the good that's been happening in this space. And I was just talking to a broker this morning before our recording today. And Basically, the same thing because of the ocean's ecology now into crisis. You mentioned protein crisis. There's a lot more people now who are more interested in investing into the industry, which is really great news for everybody. Because as you know, the farmers is still farming. So it's a lot of hard work coming from the people who are working in the industry, which leads me to my next question. What do you see as a future trend in the sustainable aquaculture business? You know, it's the sustainable side, and that's where aquaculture, I think, plays the part because wild stocks are not sustainable. There's no way we're going to be able to keep putting down as the nets and technology gets deeper and better. The, you know, one drop of a net is bringing up because of all the technology is bringing up a lot of wild stock. The sustainability side is going to come from aquaculture. You can't just shut down people and say, okay, DFO is going to shut down the oceans this week because we don't. Well, that puts people's livelihood at, at risk and a whole bunch of other people at risk. So the sustainable side of the aquaculture is putting together good practices, good business practices, good earth practices. You know, it's sort of like the forestry model. You, you cut one, plant 10 sort of thing. That's the model that's going to work. The challenge that we have, Lords, is in this industry, when I was with the government and worked with the seafood industry, we have so many associations in the seafood industry, and everybody's got a different mandate and a different understanding of what sustainability means to them or to their members. We need to come up with a collective statement of what sustainability actually is and have the industry agree that this is what sustainability is to us and how it's going to work. I mean, I look at the example of the urchin. We could only farm so many urchin a year, but yet we got desification of our oceans because the urchins are eating the seaweed and kelp so fast and we're losing a lot of that stuff. But then you got people saying, well, we can't take the urchins. Where do we draw the line? Like, how do we solve all these issues? We, there's got to be sort of a plan about sustainability and where does it go? And at the end of the day, what does sustainability mean? Can, we can all have our own separate sustainability belief, but there has to be a general statement that we all buy into and agree that we're going to work towards. And that's where I see all the associations that I worked with, numerous ones, in disagreement. One of the great examples I had, when we started the Boston Seafood Show in Boston several years ago, when I was still with the government, it was the first time we ever had the farmers, the aquaculture people, and the wild together. They never, ever were together. But because of the catalyst of the BC government, putting together his booth and saying, if you want a booth spot, you need to get along. We can't have any fights in the booth. Everybody needs to get together. And it was a very cohesive collective 
They may not have liked each other, but it was harmony in the booth. And that's what we need today. We don't have the harmony. I just find it's us against them. Amen. Amen to that. And I love when you mentioned about having one voice, having a collective statement. And that's so true. I remember we had an intervention in our company from somebody. And the very first thing that was done was having a one definition. And at that time, we were asked what leadership means. And everybody has a different definition of what that means. At the end of the day, we all agreed that in our company, leadership means doing the right thing, even though nobody was watching. You didn't have to have a follower to be a leader. But if you do the right thing, you know, pick the garbage. If you see it's lying around there or for that matter in the ocean, and then you are considered as a leader. And so this is a very key with what you said, that there's no harmony in the industry, which is kind of sad. But you are also correct that the future trend is now having collaborations between the seafood industry, the agriculture industry, the fishermen and the ocean farmers, because this is what's going to be the impetus that will catapult the industry to a better level as usual, working together. Which leads me to my last question. What's one thing you can advise a leader in this industry? What do you bring to the table? How can you be an agent of change? Everybody needs to be a change agent. Everybody, I think, understands that we've got a problem in the ocean right now Because, Lords, I'm also involved in my vitamin company. I look at that medicine cabinet called the ocean, and I look at the seaweed, I look at the kelp, I look at the algae, and these are some of the greatest things that can come out of that ocean to help people's health, and we're not using it properly. So I have to look at business leaders and say, how could you be a change agent for bringing awareness to the oceans? about how we can treat it better and be in more in harmony with that ocean. Instead of dropping plastic bottles in the ocean because nobody's looking and dumping your garbage at sea, leaders need to lead. If you're a leader and you turn around and find nobody behind you, all you're doing is going for a walk. You know, you're not leading. We just don't have enough leadership in the industry. It just seems like everybody's focused on making money. Hey, that's great. We all want to make money, but if we can come together as leaders, and somebody can lead. And I look at what you're doing here, Lords, in this podcast. I think that's leading. And I think as now we're starting to see more podcasts about aquaculture, we got followers. So whatever you're doing, you're starting to lead and to get the word out and to get more people listening to what, what's happening and how they can be a part in the ocean. You know, like you said, you see garbage on the sidewalk. Okay, what about garbage in the ocean or on the beach? Could you pick that up and take that away? Can you get involved with beach cleanups and those sort of things? That's leadership. It's not just about when somebody's looking, I'm doing something good. It's about what do you do when nobody's looking? And I like that statement, what you what you brought up, because that's true leadership. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. So my biggest takeaway from our conversation today is when you talked about collective statement. This has been always like a theme that's come up with most of the guests in our podcast is having that one voice. So this is the last episode for my season four. So that kind of brings it to full circle, going back again to that collaboration piece in the industry. How can our listeners get in touch with you? You can go to my website, robertarthurs.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn under Robert Arthurs. I'm, I've got a good following on, on Robert Arthurs on LinkedIn, also through different social medias. You'll find me all over the place. I, tr- I try to be out there. And much like you, Lord, I am a networker. And that's what I try to do. 
I don't look at what somebody can bring to me. I get my juice from what I can bring to other people. And that's, you know, my reward come from the guy upstairs. And then I just feel better about that. So it's, you know, it's about delivering my talents and what I can do to make this earth a better place. Thank you. And I'm a living testament to that. I can be testimonial that Rob does this beautifully. So to our subscribers, do leave a review of the podcast so we can get more people to be aware of the value our guests are providing in these conversations. If you're new to the podcast, I'd like to hear from you. Thanks, everyone. I'll be taking a break. So I'll see you in October for the launch of Season 5. Thanks, Rob. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues, and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.